the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blind is producing Clark Hilton Engineering Today's program. Well, today is Friday, and we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news. But before we do that, we do want to take a look at some of the day's headlines and developing story, beginning with this one. Overstock founder and CEO Patrick Brine, he resigned on Thursday after 20 years at the company amid, uh, well, his tries, uh, ties to a government investigation, he says, related to the 2016 election. And he made a series of controversial allegations and interviews with uh, a number of um, networks. Uh, Brian said the investigation is all about political espionage and that he thinks we are about to see the biggest scandal in American history, In quote. Then in an interview, um, he said that he had helped the federal government with investigations twice in the past, including to help them take down people on Wall Street. However, several years after his last contract with the uh, government, Brian said FBI officials, whom he characterized as the men in black, reached out to him in 2016 and asked him for a third favor. I was given some fishy orders and I carried them out in 2015 to 2016, thinking I was conducting law enforcement, he said. I didn't know who sent them, uh, sent the orders, but I did them. Last summer, watching television and some congressional hearings, I figured out where these orders came from. They came from a guy named Peter Strzok, end quote. Well, Brian also uh, named other individuals with... Uh, uh, reminding um, the interviewer that those officials or former officials worked at the FBI. Brian did not describe specific actions he was alleged to uh, uh, have uh, been told to, to take, but characterized them as political espionage. Kind of a fishy story, but it's developing and everyone's scratching their head. Well, in a major blow to state-by-state progressive uh, efforts to uh, um, effectively replace the Electoral College with a nationwide popular vote, a federal appeals court has ruled that presidential electors in the Electoral College have the absolute right to vote for presidential candidates of their choice. Uh, prominent Democrats, including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, had slammed the Electoral College in recent weeks, calling it a racist scam. Democrats have increasingly sought to erase the Electoral College's influence by promoting state laws that would force electors to back the winner of the national popular vote. Those laws were now in jeopardy as a result of the court's rulings, legal experts say. The decision on Tuesday, however, also raised the prospect that electors could legally, well, defect at the last minute and decide uh, the Occupant, uh, occupant, rather, of the White House on their own in dramatic fashion weeks after Election Day. And House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler called out both his fellow Democrats, Representatives Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, and President Trump on Thursday, claiming they helped further anti-Semitism in the nation's political dialogue. The growing anti-Semitism in our political dialogue is repugnant, Nadler said. He pointed to Trump's comments about disloyalty in Jews who voted for Democrats, as well as a cartoon forwarded by the two progressive congresswomen already in the news for a failed attempt to enter Israel. Last weekend, Tlaib and Omar both shared a cartoon from an artist who came 
came in second in Iran's international Holocaust cartoon, Holocaust denial cartoon contest. The cartoon displayed a star of David in the center and appeared to show Trump trying to silence Omar. It also showed Tlaib with what appeared to be Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's hand over her mouth. Odd and often creepy details continue to surface in the aftermath of uh, accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein's suicide, giving a glimpse of the twisted extravagance that was a staple of his life, right down to the art he chose to display on his walls. The latest revelation uh, involves a massive painting regarding uh, in, involving a um, woman wearing a wedding ring on cuddled up on a big cat. Uh, a photo of the artwork was taken by a contractor who worked at Epstein's New Mexico home in 2013 and provided exclusively uh, to media outlets. The contractor requested anonymity in order to speak freely. And the Internet may break on Friday. Why? The first trailer for the first live-action Star Wars TV series is expected to drop, and there will be a force with it. Star Wars The um, Mandalorian, Disney's newest entry into the iconic sci-fi property based on past experiences, just might set a new YouTube record for views. Three of the uh, Star Wars movies rank in the top 20 most-watched previews in 24 hours, uh, reaching more than 330 million viewers. Also, The Mandalorian is the flagship franchise for its new streaming service, Disney+. Plus. And the Group of Seven Summit is uh, happening this weekend, and one of France's main objectives, rather, as hope, is to minimize the chances that President Trump will blow it up. The Washington Post um, writes, subjects on which uh, to tread lightly include some of the biggest problems the world's major economies are facing, including trade, the system of international rules that's ordered the democratic world for the decade, and climate change. Senior administration officials told reporters that Trump planned to frankly discuss sticking points among G7 nations, including trade, a digital service tax, and NATO spending obligations. One thing we uh, no, won't be on Trump's agenda is the promotion of globalism. Approximately 64 percent of arrests that the federal government made in fiscal year 2018 were non-U.S. citizens. Uh, Terrence Jeffrey reports that citing a report from the Justice Department's Bureau of Justice Statistics that represents a dramatic uh, change from just two decades ago when approximately 63 percent of federal arrests were of citizens and only approximately 37 of non-citizens. And although immigration and immigration related offenses accounted for the vast majority of non-U.S. citizen arrests, non-citizens were also uh, overrepresented among those arrested for non-immigration offenses, according to the report. And the White House has been briefed on a proposal to develop a way to identify early signs of changes in people with mental illness that could lead to violent behavior. The Washington Post reports supporters see the plan as a way the president could move the ball forward on gun control following recent mass shootings as efforts seem to be flagged and to impose harsher restrictions such as background checks on gun purchases. The proposal is part of a larger initiative to establish a new agency called the Health Advanced Research Projects Agency, or HARPA, which would sit inside the Health and Human Services Department. It's understandable that mental health is a focal point, but there's a legitimate fear over what kind of endeavor can or will uh, be employed. And the Trump administration has opted not to curb foreign aid, according to The Hill, which explains the Office of Management and Budget was expected to release a package this week calling for cuts in $4.3 billion in foreign aid through a process known as rescission, but the plan was taken off the table amid pushback from some top administration officials and lawmakers in Congress. While the decision is being bipartisanly heralded, 
bipartisanly. Is that an actual word? The goal was laudable. As one senior official put it, the president has been clear that there is uh, waste and abuse in our foreign assistance, and we need to be wise about where U.S. money is going, which is why he asked his administration to look into options to do just that. It's clear that there are many on the Hill who aren't willing to join the curbing of wasteful spending. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We're winding our way through some of the uh, news stories and headlines of the day. James Blinn will join me after this segment. Libertarian David Koch, a prolific political donor who until last year helped pilot Koch Industries, passed away today at just 79 years old. Reason Magazine contains a pretty good obituary if you're interested in more details. We'll also cover that more thoroughly on Monday. And China said Friday it will impose new tariffs on $75 billion worth of U.S. goods and resume duties on American autos. The Chinese State Council said it decided to slap tariffs ranging from 5 to 10 percent on $75 billion U.S. goods and two batches effective September 1st and December 15th. That happens to be when President Donald Trump's latest tariffs on Chinese goods are to take effect. It also said a 25% tariff will be imposed on U.S. cars and a 5% on auto parts and components, which will go into effect on the 15th of December. Meanwhile, the Washington Post also says the prolonged trade war between the United States and China is taking a toll on the manufacturing sector, which contracted for the first time since, uh, I should say, contracted since 2009, data show. This development is said to be a sign of manufacturers starting to feel the effects of the ongoing trade war as sales of U.S. exports decreased at the fastest pace since August of 2009. In fact, Moody's Analytics chief economist um, Mark Zandi believes it's manufacturing If it uh, isn't in a recession, it's pretty close. Gillette is shifting the spotlight, meaning it's abandoning its anti-toxic masculinity campaign after losing about $8 billion. And academic espionage, China suspected of uh, flooding U.S. with students to access sensitive programs, continues in a quasi-war. And the U.S., um, according to The Hill, the U.S. offer to sell Turkey a Patriot missile defense system has expired. A State Department official confirmed amid ongoing tensions over Ankara's defense dealings with Russia. We have consistently told Turkey that our latest uh, offer of Patriot uh, would be off the table if it took delivery of the S-400 system. Our Patriot offer has expired, the official said, uh, speaking to The Hill. And on this day in history, 2008, Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama introduces his choice for running mate, Senator Joe Biden of Delaware. Beware uh, before a crowd outside the old state capitol in Springfield, Illinois. Maybe uh, Joe Biden's brightest moment. And on this day in history, in 1914, Japan declares a war against Germany in World War One. On this day in history, in 1939, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union signed a non-aggression treaty, 1939. And on this day in 1973, a bank robbery turned hostage-taking begins in Stockholm. The four hostages end up empathizing with their captors, a psychological condition now referred to as Stockholm Syndrome. And on this day in 2003, former priest John Gogan, a convicted child molester whose prosecution rather sparked the sex abuse scandal that shook the Roman Catholic Church nationwide, dies after another inmate attacks him in a Massachusetts prison. And on this day in 2013, a military jury convicts Major Nadal Hassan in the deadly 2009 shooting rampage at Fort Hood, Texas, that claimed 
13 lives. U.S. stocks opened a new window um, and plunged with the Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, dropping more than 600 points as President Trump uh, vowed to retaliate against China's uh, fresh round of tariffs on some U.S. goods beginning as early as September 1st. The sell-off, which at one point saw the blue chip Dow down more than 700 points, left all three major equity averages negative for the weekend. China will raise import tariffs, as I mentioned, uh, between 5 to 10 percent on $75 billion worth of uh, goods. The tariffs will be placed on more than 5,000 U.S. products. The move appeared to enrage Trump in a fiery tweet storm. He warned that he he will respond to China's most recent escalation of the trade war. My understanding is he did shortly, uh, just a short time ago. Uh, we were not able to get that information before showtime. And the upcoming third Democratic primary debate hosted by ABC News in partnership with Univision and slated for September 12th and 13th in Houston will feature four moderators. ABC News announced on Wednesday, Chief Anchor George Stepanopoulos, World News Tonight Anchor David Muir, ABC News Correspondent Lindsay Davis, and Univision Anchor George Ramos will moderate the debate on Thursday and, if necessary, Friday. The debate will be held at Texas Southern University, a public historically black university, will air across ABC, Univision, and with Spanish translation. If 10 or fewer candidates are certified by the national, the Democratic National Committee to participate, the debate will take place on one night. If more than 10 qualify for under the rules. The debate will take place over two nights. For the two-night scenario, ABC News, in accordance with the DNC, will hold a selection event on the 29th of August to randomly assign the candidates to a night. The format of the debate will be one minute and 15 seconds for direct responses to questions and 45 seconds for rebuttals. I'm not sure who could rebut effectively in 45 seconds, but these are the rules. So far, 10 candidates have qualified for the third round of debates, according to ABC News analysis of publicly released information and pending verification by the DNC after the qualifying deadline, including former Vice President Joe Biden, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, California Senator Kamala Harris, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, former Texas Representative Beto O'Rourke, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, entrepreneur Andrew Yang, whose campaign seems to be catching some fire. Earlier this year, prior to the first Democratic debate, the DNC announced more stringent qualifying rules for the fall debates in September and October. Uh, details for the October debate will not be available or announced yet. In order to qualify for the September debates, candidates had to cross both the polling and grassroots funding thresholds. Candidates must receive 2% or more support in at least four national polls or polls conducted in the early voting uh, states of Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and or Nevada, and publicly released between the 28th of June and the 28th of August. Any candidates uh, for qualifying Polls must be sponsored by one or more of the following organizations uh, approved by the DNC, which I won't go into at this point. And Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has completed three weeks of radiation therapy at a New York City hospital to treat a malignant tumor on her pancreas, the court said today. The tumor was treated de- uh, definitively and there is no evidence of disease elsewhere in her body, the court spokesperson said in a statement. Justice Ginsburg will continue to have periodic blood tests and scans, no further treatment is needed at this time, end quote. An abnormality was detected in early July during a routine blood test and a subsequent biopsy revealed the tumor. 
Ginsburg is 86, began radiation on the 5th of August at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and received treatment as an outpatient, the statement said. As part of her treatment, a bile duct stent was placed on her pancreas. The justice tolerated treatment well at 86. Remarkable, the statement said. She canceled her annual summer visit to Santa Fe, but Santa Fe rather, but has otherwise maintained an active schedule. Earlier this month, Ginsburg attended a showing of Fiddler on the Roof at the National Yiddish Theater in Folksbein, where she received a standing ovation. Sources say that Ginsburg has no desire to step down from the bench and plans to hold her seat for as long as her health permits. The new Supreme Court term is scheduled to begin the 7th of October, and justices usually return to work in September. So far, Ginsburg has 11 public events planned for September and has not canceled any of them to date. That's according to NPR. Ginsburg underwent lung surgery, uh, lung cancer surgery in December, and has had two previous bouts with cancer. She had colorectal cancer in 1999, pancreatic cancer in 2009. While recovering from surgery, she missed arguments at the court in January, her first illness-related absence in more than 25 years as a justice. Uh, The story is uh, continuing, but she is uh, expected to return to her office along with her fellow justices and to continue on the court again for as long as um, her health holds out. And by all appearances, by all accounts, she's expected to fully participate. Well, coming up, as is typically our case, we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news. James Blend will join me in studio and we'll have some fun winding our way through some of those stories. So I hope you'll stick around and join us. Uh, Once again, uh, James Blend producing, Clark Hilton engineering. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 33 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Yo, James. What up? Uh, not much. What's going on with you? Well, not much. Cool. Got to be plans for the weekend? I have nothing planned for the weekend, and it is glorious. <laughs> well, you just got back from a vacation, though. I know, but look at my weekend last weekend. So, you know, a couple of festivals. Oh, there was so that. It's, it's nice to have a weekend without anything. Well, you remember that uh, the president offered to purchase Greenland. Um, yes. It was not by invitation, but he decided that, the, and there are reasons for that. I mean, there are Assets there that China is gobbling up and we get from China and we want to be able to secure them for ourselves. But a group of Flemish nationalist politicians on Thursday joked that President Trump could buy a portion of Belgium at a steal for only one euro after Danish leaders spurned his idea to buy Greenland. Hercule is it, is Poirot it, is from Belgium, if I'll I'm say, not mistaken. If, if, is that the, uh, is that the, would it include the portion of Belgium that makes the chocolates? I don't know. But for one euro, I'd take him up on it. Yeah. That's what I would do. Anyway, the youth wing of the new Flemish, Flemish, I don't know, that just, <clears throat> I feel like I need to clear my throat. The new Flemish alliance tweeted a proposal for President Trump to purchase Wallonia. It's a French-speaking, left-leaning region of southern Belgium. The new Flemish alliance is based in Flanders, a portion of Belgium that's seen a surge of nationalist and separatist Flemish parties in recent years, according to Euro News. Dear President at Real Donald Trump, one euro and Wallonia is yours. Call us at hashtag Greenland is not for sale. Uh, Young uh, in from I'm not sure what VA stands for there. But anyway, the youth wing of the new Flemish alliance tweeted. Uh, the tweet was accompanied with a photo of a Trump building resembling one tweeted by the president earlier this week that showed him Trump Tower over a Greenland village with the caption, I promise not to do this to Greenland. <laughs> it was just a joke aimed at a young Flemish audience going along with something trending on Twitter. Nothing more, said 
Jong in the president uh, of this organization. I sincerely hope there is still room for some humor in politics, especially young people need that. Well, there is very little room these days, sadly, but I thought the whole thing was pretty funny. Uh, anyway, this um, side of the party won 43 seats in Belgium's 150 seat parliament in the last election. So I say uh, we take them up on it. One euro, we buy this one little area of uh, Wallonia, uh, this one area of Belgium. That's probably cheaper than some somewhere. Belgian chocolates. I'm guessing so. I think that would be a great purchase. Well, I'm glad there was a little humor introduced in all of this. By the way, President Truman, um, did he really try to buy Greenland? Well, President Trump defended the idea of buying Greenland. He deri- was derided by his critics within the United States and rejected by Denmark. Uh, which controls this little area, in part by saying the idea first came from President Harry Truman. Is that so? The short answer is yes, but it's complicated. Uh, Trump's acknowledgement that he really has had uh, uh, been talking with the, um, about the United States buying Greenland and that he was offended when Denmark's prime minister called the idea absurd uh, were the jaw-dropping um, coda for the August 16th report in the Wall Street Journal. Well, the newspaper reported that Greenland's idea had been a pet project of the president for some time. Once it broke into the open, the president not only owned up to the idea, but said he was uh, wounded by the Danish prime minister's uh, rejection uh, of the whole thing. He cannot be wounded. For someone who throws as many arrows as he does, he just cannot be wounded. Anyway, he sought to make the case that his plan to buy Greenland was not, in fact, absurd because he wasn't the first to come up with the idea. The administration of President Harry Truman pitched a sale of Copenhagen in 1946 in a story told in documents contained in the National Archives. That was revealed in 1991 by the Associated Press. The Truman administration did so under the Cold War secrecy, and no one learned about it for decades. In fact, this was a private conversation and negotiation. It was leaked. So this was supposed to similarly be um, under the radar. There was an open bid and rejection, as with the Trump idea. Of course, it was an open bid in private. This was an open bid that was supposed to be private that was leaked. So there you have it. It did actually happen. Well, a record 768 million U.S. vacation days went unused in 2018. I would have taken them all for them. You you took all of yours. Uh, this marks a 9% increase since 2017. I have not taken just a vacation vacation. I'm going to take some days off here and there, but I think I need to squeeze in a vacation. That's a lot of time and money. The study found that unused vacation days equate to about $65.5 billion in lost benefits. Now, I don't think we lose ours. Do ours carry over? I don't remember. To an extent. We, to an we extent. stop accruing if we hit a certain peak. Yeah. So I need to, to do that. According to the study, more than half of Americans don't use all of their paid time off. The U.S. Travel Association claims if more Americans travel during their time off, the Economic opportunity for the travel industry amounts to $151.5 billion in additional tax, or rather travel spending, which would create 2 million American jobs for the sake of the country. I mean, I'm not thinking about my need to get away and relax and, you know, I'm thinking about stimulating the economy. Well, so yeah, I'm, well, you should do that. Now, you had a, a vacation just this this past week. It was a shorter one, but yeah. you guys have fun? We did. We did. It was Very this, enjoyable. And this was without baby. This was without our little girl, yeah. Yeah, she's still first, baby to me. Yeah, she's. Um, it was our first time for more than a day away from her in a little over four years. Yeah, well, good for you. The study found Americans with older kids, you're not there yet, uh, tend to take more time off than those with younger kids for reasons that don't even need to be explained. If you ever traveled with a youngster, then you understand that uh, statistic. And you appreciate when you don't travel with a youngster. Yeah, I'm sure it was a lot easier this time around. 
Well, you know, school is, has started for a lot of kids. It's about to start for others. But this is the season of back to school. And one mom, she meant business. <laughs> her her video went viral. Um, uh, she's a, a mom from Georgia. And the video went viral after setting up a job fair in her home for her three young children. A job fair. Her name is Shakitha Marion McGregor. She decided to set up the hiring event at her house after her children continue to ask her for new cell phones an allowance, and to go places. So Shakitha Marion McGregor decided to set up this hiring event at her home. Um, She posted open jobs, which included kitchen manager, lead housekeeper, laundry supervisor, as well as a sign for mom's credit union, and printed applications for each of her three children to apply for the position. If you want it, work for it, earn it, the mom wrote in the post, which went viral, earning more than 200,000 reactions and 34,000 comments on Facebook. She responded to the attention with a follow-up, explaining that she had conducted her interviews and shared more photos of her children's applications, calling attention to the salaries they were requesting, which ranged from $20 a month to $15 a week. Uh, There were, however, uh, some snags during the first round of interviews, she admits, especially with her 13-year-old. I'm going to make my son reapply and interview again because he laughed 90% of the time, she said. My 10-year-old would sometimes start speaking in an English accent like... That would help her. And my six-year-old surprised me the most. She was super professional, she continued in the post. Well, the hilarious job fair idea seems to have caught on with other parents who shared their own photos on McGregor's uh, Facebook page on their makeshift hiring events for household chores. What a great idea. She had a job fair at her house for her kids, and they had to apply uh, to earn a certain level of uh, income. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I like the idea. Um, you, uh, you've lived in a neighborhood and you've got neighbors and, you know, there's the neighbor that whose yard and house is meticulous. There's the neighbor whose yard isn't really kept up as much as you'd like it to be. And then there's the neighbor who doesn't really care. And then, you know, there are all kinds of reasons why that's the case. So I'm not, um, criticizing neighbors, but a Manhattan beach city council got an earful from a handful of angry residents who went, want the owner of a pink house covered with two giant emojis, to remove them. Now, it's not, it's bad enough to have a pink house, but to have two large emojis. Uh, I don't even, did, what emo, does it specify which emojis? They're the smiling faces. They say okay. the bizarre paint job, a public nuisance, and they worry that it's going to bring down their property values. Of course, that's always the concern. Well, the homeowners claim the house um, was painted hot pink and decorated with two eye popping emojis, one with a zipped lip and the other with googly eyes. And its uh, tongue is sticking out after the owner was fined $4,000. Her neighbors had complained to the city that she was illegally running a short-term rental. She was upset the city shut her down and fined her thousands of dollars, say the neighbors. Both emojis painted uh, several feet tall, have eyelash extensions, so they're two-dimensional. Um, they don't think it's a coincidence, uh, so they're, they're pretty upset. What would you do in a situation like that where... A neighbor is deliberately acting out in an effort to offend his or her, or in this case, her fellow neighbors. Well, that seems like that's a pretty good way to start. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, she certainly accomplished that uh, that feat if that was uh, ultimately her goal, but hot pink. Hot pink and emojis. See, I would have thought the yellow would clash with the pink. The owner says she has no intention of uh, painting over. Neighbors point to an Instagram post. They say hints at her true intentions. In a now edited post under hashtag emoji house, a caption uh, by the homeowner says, are your neighbors constantly ratting you out? 
Have they cost you thousands of fines? Have you wanted to tell them off lately? Why risk a case when you can hire me to paint them a pretty message? And so um, pretty clear what her intent was. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Let's see. uh, Scientists are building a real-life version of the Starship Enterprise life scanner. Oh, there you go. Yeah, when a crew member of the Starship Enterprise pulls into orbit around a new planet, one of the things that one of the first things they do is scan for life forms. Uh, Here in the real world, researchers have long been trying to figure out how to unambiguously detect signs of life on distant exoplanets. So they're now one step closer to that goal, thanks to a new remote sensing technique. It relies on a quirk of biochemistry, causing light to uh, spiral in a particular direction and produce a fairly unmistakable signal. The method, described in a recent paper published in the journal Astrobiology, I know you must have read it, James, could be used aboard <laughs> could be used aboard space based observa- observatories rather and help scientists learn if universe uh, if the universe contains living beings like ourselves. Wow, to boldly go where no one's gone before. Yeah, and find out who's there with you. Exactly. Yeah, well, there you have it. Scientists building real life version of the Starship Enterprise's life scanner. I'd kind of like one of those. It'd be kind of fun to pull out. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 51 minutes after 5 o'clock. Well, that's 4 o'clock. It's only 4 o'clock. Don't rush us, James. Oh, as I say, are we suddenly broadcasting from mountain time? <laughs> Could we do that? I don't see why not. I'll have to talk to management. Well, apparently sudden shrieks of radio waves. No, we're not talking about the Georgine Rice Show. But they, these are sudden shrieks of radio waves from deep space. Keep slamming into radio telescopes on Earth. Spattering those instrument detectors and confusing data. And now astronomers are using artificial intelligence to pinpoint the source of the shrieks and the hope of explaining what's sending them to Earth from researchers suspect billions of light years across space. What do you think, James? I am... Shrieks of radio waves. Shrieks. I I can only imagine that uh, what causes those shrieks. Well, usually these weird... Unexplained signals are detected only after the fact when astronomers notice out-of-place spikes in their data. Sometimes years after the incident, the signals have complex, mysterious structures, patterns of peaks and valleys and radio waves that play out in just milliseconds. That's not the sort of signal astronomers expect to come from a simple explosion or any other one of standard events known to scatter spikes of electromagnetic energy across space. And I thought it was impressive that our KPDQ AM signal sometimes gets picked up in Finland. <laughs> it, maybe it's just us. Oh, you know what? I bet we've solved it. It's just us. It, it must be. Yeah. It's true, though. We, we, ha- we, on a regular basis, it used to be on cassette. Uh, now it comes in usually an email form with an MP3 attached. Uh, there are people who listen to long-distance radio and pick us up in Finland, Sweden, uh, Russia. Uh, we've had people all over the world. Exactly. But yeah, we, we get that all the time. So why not shrieking? Why not shrieking? <laughs> well, and I could hear, I could imagine that they would think that what they're hearing from us is I mean, I listened shrieking. to the quality of that audio. There was quite a bit of shrieking in there that was not there when we originated the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've solved the whole thing. Yeah, Clark, if you could make a couple phone calls and let these folks know. Uh, by the way, there were monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. You might want to start there and just let them know it's probably just us. Man, I thought we had something. But I thought we did, not. too. Yeah. The second oldest cathedral in England installed a miniature golf course inside 
as an innovative way to attract more visitors, and it's now being applauded as a hole-in-one idea. Sorry, so- <laughs> sorry, Reverend, I'm just going to play through. Keep going with your sermon. <laughs> Next time you meet with the Elder Board, just suggest a round of mini-golf in the sanctuary. Just might bring them in. Yeah. The bridge-themed golf course at the Rochester Cathedral, located in Kent, uh, is temporarily located inside the church for the summer. As a w- inside the church for summer, why would you have anyway? Uh, as a way to encourage young people to learn more about the engineering behind bridges. Uh, wouldn't you want to make a bridge to the Lord Jesus Himself? I mean, He is the bridge. Wouldn't you want to bring that in there? I, I, I'm thinking to myself, it's you know, if you hit if you hit the vicar, it's a one-stroke penalty, <laughs> and um, well, you know, you're you're, you're probably going to burn. <laughs> well, the Reverend Rachel Phillips, a spokesperson for the church, explained in a statement that for nearly 1,400 years, Rochester Cathedral has been a center of learning for the community. Okay, learning about temporal things, eternal things, golfing things. Putting. By temporarily installing an educational adventure golf course, we aim to continue that mission, giving people the opportunity to learn rather than turn and perhaps burn. Okay, that's not what she said. Uh, anyway, to learn while they take part in a fun activity in what for many might be a previously unvisited building. Funded by the Rochester Bridge Fund, the course is made up of nine holes that are each paired with a different type of model bridge, including Roman Bridge at the Rochester and the Queen Elizabeth II Bridge at Dartmouth, according to the church. And while the church appears enthusiastic about the temporary installation, others, including the Reverend David Palmer, thought it was not such a great idea. I was ordained as an Anglican in this cathedral. What an embarrassing shambles, he tweeted last week. In another tweet, he said, if you want to keep your tourist attractions open by installing fun fairs, that's cool. But don't you dare pretend it's still a cathedral. Good for you, Right Reverend. Anyway, the Right Reverend Dr. Gavin Ashbenden, Bishop of the Anglican Episcopal Church, told BBC he believes the golf course is a really serious mistake, perhaps born out of desperation. Uh, the idea, born out of something, but I'm not sure desperation is his name. But anyway, the idea that people are so trivial that they can be almost tricked into a search for God by entertaining them with a golf course is a serious category error, he said. But Canon Matthew Rushton, I like these names, the Right Reverend and the Canon, and uh, he's of the Rochester Cathedral. He challenged the notion that cathedrals can't innovate and have events like this and to tell people about our faith in Jesus, which is what we're all about. Well, that and other things involving bridges and golfing. The Archbishop of Canterbury, okay, we've gone up now, said to us that if you don't know how to have fun in cathedrals, then you're not doing your job properly. That's an well, interesting I mean, you concept. Know, the, the, you know, <laughs> as far as church going goes, of course, the first three letters of funeral are fun. But that's usually the only – that's about the closest I come to it. I mean, it's it's not where, where it's like – you know, I like miniature golfing as much. And you don't want to hit it off into the water trap. But in this case, the water trap is, what, a the baptismal? baptismal. <laughs> just that, That's not good. It seems like a bad idea. It seems like a terrible idea. I'm not, I'm not digging this. What's the windmill in this situation? I mean, and that's not to suggest that church has to be a staid and somber – environment where people don't smile for fear of, you know, somehow offending the deity. Uh, Church is a fun place of fellowship and worship, but miniature golf, uh, not so much. I I guess the question is, when will the carousel be put in? I think that uh, this uh, stays until the 1st of September. I think the carousel goes in after that. Uh, I I was figuring it would be like the the, the Christmas uh, Adventure Village or something. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It's September, you know, it's got it's already Christmas season. Speaking of a joke, <laughs> it was supposed to be one. 
create an event on Facebook uh, that's so absurd that everybody would have a great laugh, share the meme, and then move on with their lives. That's what it was supposed to be. Instead, Maddie Roberts got a visit from the FBI. The Air Force has warned it's ready for anything, and rural Lincoln County, Nevada, is preparing to declare a state of emergency. We're talking, of course, about the uh, event storming Area 51. Started as a joke, but it's a mystery as to how many are actually going to show up. Well, in late June, Roberts, a 20-year-old from Bakersfield, posted his Facebook event, Storm Area 51, they can't stop all of us. Ha ha, we're done. Well, the idea was simple. Overwhelm the top-secret Nevada military site with people, a mess a rather a mass, I'm imagining both are true, of humanity that would storm the gates in pursuit of long-hidden truths that have long-fueled conspiracy theories and television shows, including The X-Files. I wish we had that music playing in the background. Well, it would all happen on the 20th of September. Finally, aliens, autopsies, UFOs and hangers, and other off-the-books government research would be exposed. Vindication, Mulder and Scully. Well, the post got little attention at first, but a few days later, it started to go viral. And by mid-July, more than a million people said on Facebook they were planning to attend. They're going to show up. Yeah, a million people. Well, that didn't end there. We will all meet up at Area 51 Alien Center Tourist Attraction and coordinate our entry, wrote a video game streamer uh, with a handle, Smiley Cun. I'm not sure what that means, but anyway, he's probably a kid sitting in his pajama bottoms playing video games in the basement. Um, uh Naturo, if we Naturo run, we can move faster than their bullets. Well, no. But any, oh, no, it's Naruto. Naruto run is a reference to an anime ninja who runs with body and head leaning forward uh, while keeping his arms straight behind him and he can outrun bullets. He's sort of the Superman of the anime. Good luck with that. Uh, now they say that they have upwards of 2 million people who have indicated, yeah, we're, we're going to show up. You're not. No, no. It, it's, and it's, Definitely being taken seriously. When I was in Las oh, Vegas, yes. it was in the news down there uh, because they're not too far off of the you know the, the famed uh, Area 51. And, uh, and yeah, the, they're very, very serious and very concerned about this fiasco. Yeah, and the locals are terrified because they cannot accommodate those huge crowds. Now there's a music festival that's sanctioned sort of off-site to try to divert some of the attention because they have no idea how many of these people are serious or for them if it's just a joke. Time will tell. All right, we've got news and traffic at the top of the hour, and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad that you're with us. James Blinn is producing today's program, Clark Hilton Engineering. And uh, by the way, James is with me in studio. Thanks for sticking around. Absolutely. Just got back from vacation. Yeah, it's these pesky one-day work weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, my sister and I were a year and six days apart mm-hmm. and we looked very much alike. I'm not sure we looked as much alike as we sounded alike and we gestured alike. I could see that. And in fact, even today, and I think we, our appearance has diverged quite a bit over the years. My sister's really cute. I'll leave it at that. Um, but I can hear a recording and I can't tell, is that me or is that her? Especially when we're singing, I, I can usually tell if the range um, maybe I can figure it out. But there are times when I've heard her speaking and I thought, now, is that her speaking or is that me? So when we were growing up, oftentimes we dressed alike a lot. Um, people was, oh, are they twins? And of course we weren't. And you'd have to go into this lengthy explanation. We're a year and six days apart. I'm the other. So sometimes, yeah, we're just twins. It just kind of. <laughs> well, I noted that hundreds of twins gathered for the annual festival in a French town of Pleur de Um 
I'm not really sure what the town was, and I don't speak French. I should have consulted with Clark ahead of time. I think he speaks a little French. At least he kind of looks French. Can't you see him in a beret? I think he could pass as a Frenchman. Uh, I could see him eating French fries. That's about it. Yeah, well. Uh, Twins, triplets, quadruplets, they traveled from around the world to attend the event. It was organized, or it has been organized since 1994 by the Twins and More Association. Do you need a lozenge? Yeah, I need something. Okay. My gag reflex is just kicked in. But that has to be really fun. You know, there are fraternal twins and paternal twins, and some of them look very much alike, others not so much. But to gather with other twins, and there's something remarkable about twins from what I understand. I think my sister and I might have had a little of this, although we're not technically twins. But, you know, kind of knowing what the other's thinking and being able to finish one another's sentences or say the sentence at the same time. Just a unique bond. Hundreds of twins. Hundreds of gone. Uh, speaking of uh, twins, a woman gave birth to twiplets. 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 Triplets. She'd gone to the hospital uh, for what twiplet. she thought. Is that a half triplet, half were, twin? It is, yes. Okay. <laughs> she thought she had kidney stones. Yeah. A South Dakota woman, she felt something painful in her abdomen, so she went to the hospital thinking she would need surgery to break up kidney stones. Maybe she'd had them before, and it was very much like that. It turns out she was expecting. Donetta Giltz, she had no idea that once she got to the hospital, she would later give birth to triplets, no less. Um, I started getting pains. I figured it was kidney stones because I've gone through them before, she says. Uh, She took a urinalysis test and later learned that it wasn't kidney stones, but in fact, she was in labor. She was told that she was about to give birth to twins. She and her husband were about to uh, uh, double the amount of children in their household since they already had two together. Uh, It was quiet. We thought they were done, she said. Uh, He's over there kind of uh, rocking like, think of the names, and then she's like, you know, you have to add that like. I'm quoting here. It's not that she actually did something. It was sort of like she did something. Right. Anyway, she's like, well, we need another blanket, and his reaction is like, excuse me, uh, put it back. No, I was told uh, I have twins. I'm not doing triplets. She's like, no, there's three babies in here. There's triplets. That was all a quote. Right. My mother would not permit me to speak in that way, particularly <laughs> inserting It is not like. proper English. It is not. Anyway, in a matter of four minutes, okay, they go to the hospital. She has kidney stones. She does a urinalysis. You're pregnant. You're going to have twins. Moments later, no, you're having triplets. In a matter of four minutes, three children arrived into the world. Austin uh, Giltz named them Blaze, Gypsy, and Nikki. Clearly, it's clear they didn't have yeah. enough time. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Name one of those kids, Blaze. I mean, I, okay, Gypsy and Nikki. Two girls and a boy. Life is good if you're Nikki. Yeah, I'm guessing Blaze is their son. You never know. No. Uh, one of the Gilt's children before the hospital um, ho- hospital visit, Ronnie, I guess this is one of the other children. Who had a normal said name. Said he once wished of having two sisters and a brother. Well, he now has Careful what you wish for. two sisters and a brother. One time I seen a shooting star and I wish for a baby brother and I wish for like two sisters for my little sister because she's always wanted a little sister. I knew this day was going to uh, come, little Ronnie said. Well, the father said he was still trying to uh, wrap his head around the fact what happened, even uh, when they were leaving the hospital. Well, maybe somebody needs to sit him down and explain what happened. But anyway, they have three additional children. Once we left the hospital, she's out of the hospital. I know she's okay. I'm overwhelmed. Honestly, it's still exploding in my head. Well, one can 
certainly understand that. And then there was the mother who said the whole event was crazy, especially since she got admitted to the hospital for something completely different. She had self-diagnosed. Donetta said, you don't ever see triplets being conceived naturally, let alone going 34 weeks without knowing you're carrying them. So everyone's like, I, everyone's like, I can't believe it. I'm like, we're still in shock. Trust me, we know what uh, what you mean. Uh, like I go to the doctors thinking I've got surgery for kidney stones coming and end up going into labor with a C-section. That's uh, that night. It's crazy. End quote. Well, the Gilts family said friends, family and even complete strangers donated supplies during their unexpected family expansion. It's amazing in a small town how many people will come together for stuff that's not expected. Nanetta said, well, during a matter of um, time, the family went from two to five, two girls, a boy and another girl and another boy. The Gills family has grown considerably. Well, I, I certainly wish them all the best and uh, a happy, happy life. But I think uh, listening to them speak for a half hour in a room, I'd have a headache. <laughs> well, that's the way people speak in the 21st century in America. And that's, yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't fit in. A woman from Kansas went to see a doctor. She, too, is a bit puzzled about what was wrong. She believes she had water in her ear oh, uh, that just yeah, would not go away. You know, it's bad when you got water in your ear. It's annoying. It's distracting. I've had it. Yeah, it we, I think we've all been there. Bit. Yeah. It throws your equilibrium off. Just a hair. Yeah. Well, Su- just a hair. Susie Torres left medical professionals baffled when they first checked her ear, expecting to find some trapped water. That's what she said she thought was the problem. You know, self-diagnosis. However, on closer inspection, the nurse discovered what she believed to be an insect burrowed inside her ear. Ugh. <sighs> Ugh. It the gets worse. The nurse apparently ran out. And said, I'm going to get a couple more people. She then said, I think you have an insect in there. Well, at that point, Torres had no idea what kind of creature lay in her ear. So she stayed calm and didn't panic when more doctors came to inspect her ear. Uh, She came back in, referring to the nurse, and told me it is a spider. Um, They had a few tools and worked their magic and got it out. Doctors later informed Torres it had actually been a highly venomous brown recluse spider hiding in her ear about the size of a penny. Fortunately, after a checkup, doctors were able to confirm that she hadn't been bitten by the dangerous creature who was just, you know, looking for a home. I never thought they would crawl in your ear or any part of your body, said the nurse. Um, A bite from a recluse fighter that can uh, result in itching, muscle pain, increased sweating, headaches, nausea, fever, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Not to mention, of course, sudden death. There is that. Uh, The organization suggests seeking treatment from a medical professional should anyone suspect they've received a bite from a venomous spider in their ear or otherwise. And although Torres doesn't know where the spider came from or how it managed to get into her ear, she revealed she'll now be taking precautions to protect her ears from creepy crawlies when she sleeps in the future. Uh, She went and put, I'm quoting now, uh, she went and put some cotton balls in her ears uh, because she didn't want to have any. She didn't have any earplugs, and she was pretty terrified of spiders. Brown recluse spiders are usually between six and twenty millimeters. However, they can grow to a bigger uh, size. And although they uh, they're mostly uh, most commonly light brown to medium brown in color, they can range from whitish color to dark brown or blackish gray, which means you can't really identify them. Uh, they're nicknamed the fiddleback spider because of a black mark. Uh, down the side, which looks like a violin. Adult brown recluse spiders usually live between one to two years, hopefully not in your ear. So I had medical professionals not intervene. Susie may have been, um, well, stuck with an unwanted inhabitant in her ear for quite some time. You know, I, I think that's definitely one thing to uh, you know, put some cotton in your ears or some earplugs, but 
I think I'll start using the, the surefire method of uh, keeping those out of my ears. I am never going to sleep again. <laughs> I think that might be the way to, to approach the whole thing. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, and we will. Oh, I promise you, we will be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. James Blend is with me in uh, in studio. Now, you just went on vacation, and I noticed uh, here a massive swarms of grasshoppers have descended on the Las Vegas Strip this week, startling tourists and residents as they pass through town on their northbound migration. I did not see any of that, I must say. I, yeah. I, I do tend to stay off the strip, though. When I when I go there, it's it's just not a place I like. Yeah. Well, videos posted on social media show swarms of the bugs. See, this is a good reason to stay off the strip. Called um, pallid-winged grasshoppers, they converged on the bright neon lights of the strip and the sidewalks covered with the insects. The Nevada Department of Agriculture said the rare invasion was linked to an unseasonably wet winter and spring. Jeff Knight, an entomologist at the Agriculture Department, said that while the insects may freak out many, they're harmless and not uh, a sign of the end of time. Well, nobody ever said that was going to be a sign of the end of time. But nonetheless, large swarms of insects of any kind, while not terrifying in the sense that you're concerned about the future, it is awfully inducing. Uh, They don't carry any disease. That's good. They don't bite. Uh, They are not even one of the uh, species that we consider a problem, says Mr. Knight. They probably won't cause much damage in a yard, for example, but they may cause me to hurt myself trying to escape them. That's my concern. He said grasshoppers measuring about 1.5 inches or 3.80 centimeters uh, will have flown out of Las Vegas uh, within a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks at the most. They're moving through, he said. Basically, they come in, they settle in, then at night they just take off and fly away. He said the best way to avoid attracting the insect, which uh, in my view is staying in Oregon, um, they're drawn to ultraviolet light, so Las Vegas is the place to be, is to install yellow or amber lights, which would deter them. And in the event the bugs end up inside the home, he says, uh, some simple advice, just use your vacuum cleaner. So there you I mean, it. So it, could, it makes sense. I mean, they probably came to town. They wanted to see Cirque du Soleil, and you know, there was a number of their shows there. And, uh, you know, you take in one a night, it would probably take a couple weeks. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. So there you have it. Grasshoppers in Las Vegas. Now, Answer me, James, if yes. this is how you might respond to a similar situation. Uh, there is a woman. Um, she has a home in Fox Island. That's up in uh, Washington. Uh, and she was fishing. Okay. Not all that unusual. Good things happen to those who bait. I believe in that, she says. She started fishing at a very young age. And recently she opened her own company called South Sound Salmon Sisters. I like it. Her goal is to motivate women to get out in the water and fish. Well, on Friday, she was out on her boat attending a fishing derby, and she saw someone had caught a juvenile giant red Pacific octopus. Now, what's the first thing you would do if you caught a juvenile giant red Pacific octopus? Um, that's a good question. I mean, after ta- you would scream like a girl, what would be the next thing? Um, probably throw it back if I had it in the boat. You but... would throw it back. And if you thought, oh, calamari, you'd put it in the, you know, something where you keep your fish. That's what you would do because you're a reasonable man who would think uh, that that would be the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't even think I'd go that far just because, you know, I'm afraid it would like clamp onto my arm or something like that. So, yeah, well, I would there is keep, that. keep it away from me. Well, um, Jamie's uh, Jamie, the owner of the women's fishing thing, she said she also she, um, said, can I have that? Don't let it go. 
Uh, I want to eat it for dinner because calamari, she's a fisher person. She knows, you know, what you can do with it. She also wanted to pose with it for the Derby's photo contest. So you would imagine your arm is at its full length. You might have the thing at the end of your fingers taking a picture with it. Well, no. She thought, this is pretty cool. It was a gorgeous, exotic creature, and she put it on her face. What? And said, take my picture. Then all of a sudden, they noticed, and I noticed, when my eyes just widened, that it had put its beak into her chin, not once, but twice. It was like a barbed hook going into her skin. And the photos show her pulling the octopus off of her face, where I can't imagine anyone in their right mind putting it. It was bleeding profusely for probably 30 minutes, and it was very painful, she says. Her chin swelled, but it didn't stop her from attending another derby on Saturday because, well, she's a seasoned fisher person. But she explained, I didn't go to the hospital because I'm a strong-willed woman, I think, out there, and I was dedicated to going uh, to her derby and so on. Well, after she finished the second derby and spent another day on the water, she still didn't go to the hospital. It wasn't until Sunday... Sunday morning that she realized something, well, was really wrong. She noticed that she couldn't swallow properly. Her throat was swollen. The left side of her face was almost paralyzed. Uh, the severe pain, it only got worse, worse. rather. Both of her arms swelled. Her IV went bad in both arms at the hospital. Well, she added that she received treatment at Tacoma General from a doctor who also seemed to be an octopus fan. He actually has a tattoo of an octopus, a blue ringed octopus on his arm, she says with a chuckle. Now she's home recovering and reflecting on her lesson learned. One can only hope. I'm just um, here to tell people just because something looks delicate and precious and it can't hurt you, know what you are touching before you actually do something like I did, she says. Giant Pacific octopus uh, bites have varying degrees of venom that can cause intense pain. According to the Seattle Aquarium, they warn people not to pick them up, let alone put them on their face. Basilica, the uh, fish person, she's now saying the same. I can't even on imagine. On your face. On your face. Ooh, I don't even understand what the novelty of that idea is. Even if it was a completely harmless, known to be harmless without a beak that bites, what what part of the human psyche goes, hey, an octopus, I'll put that on my face. That's a great <laughs> idea. I wouldn't be surprised if we'll hear, you know, in another month or maybe year, the octopus facial, where they insert some sort of beak-like thing and inject something. Or, or, or the, you know, the, the, the look of the, uh, I guess for lack of a term, suckers on their arms, uh, their legs or whatever. Yeah, the little rings all over your that, face. That's suddenly a high fashion item. <laughs> I don't know, but... The sucker look. It's the hottest thing in Paris this year. (laughs) And this is somebody who should have known better. First of all, she would have known that an octopus has a beak and that it's probably... I'll be honest, I didn't. Not Yeah, I I, I knew that. I didn't know that, but I also never would have put an octopus on my (laughs) face without that knowledge. There you have it. There you have it. I think you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that uh, my beloved favorite candy bar of all time, the Butterfinger... Uh, changed its uh, formula. Yes. Now, you and I had talked about actually bringing a a Butterfinger, this new formula, into the studio. We went our separate ways. We had events coming, and we didn't didn't do that. But I did go out of my way to purchase a a Butterfinger. And uh, what I learned is it comes in three different flavors now. You can still get the original, but there are two other versions, one with nuts, and the other one is kind of a creamy version of it. So... Uh, while I'm devastated at the prospect that you would even leave the name on it, Butterfinger, and have something else in the middle, uh, I was comforted to learn and tested 
uh, that the uh, original is still available. So I wanted to pass that on now, to did, you. Did you try the original? or? or? I did try the original, and I thought it was uh, pretty much the same. Now, it was one of those miniatures, right? so that may not have been the best way to test it. But if you're a Butterfingers you fan... The, did you try these other varieties? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> How long have you... Have we just met? I, you really? know, I... I People are putting octopuses on faces now. You just don't know what is possible anymore. <laughs> no, I did not. My mother had a bag of, um, of Butterfinger, and it had the three different flavors in there. And, of course, I didn't even touch the other packages because I'm loyal to the original, and I can't imagine that they would be appealing in any way. But I've decided that, given the fact that my mother gave birth to me, uh, that we can maintain a, f- a friendship. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's strained, but uh, we're working on it. We're going to take a yeah, we're thinking about it. We're going okay. to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. By the way, portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. This is the fun Friday edition. And uh, we're just working our way through some of the lighter side of the news. You know, I was talking just before the break about the Butterfinger and the fact that they have had the nerve, the gall to change the formula. I, I can't even conceive of I would rather put an octopus on my face than even <laughs> conceive of the notion that you would change the Butterfinger formula. But I'll leave that aside. I did learn that Lucky Charms, I'm sorry, I get a little beklimped when I think about it, is going to be, if they haven't already, they're selling bags of just marshmallows for snacking and desserts. Why even buy a Lucky Charm if the marshmallow... I just would like the crunchy marshmallows. That would do it for me. Whole bags of them. You know, they. I, I remember a while ago them doing some sort of brief promotion where it was the Lucky Charms without the cereal. And it was just the marshmallow. You could buy a yeah. box of it. Uh, it was like a limited run kind of thing. Yeah, but, they're now uh, in bags, but it's finally happened. Lucky Charms will be widely available without all the pesky cereal in the way. General Mills has released promotional just marshmallow boxes of the, okay, they say bags up here, boxes down there, of the iconic cereal in the past and company recently. They announced that fans nationwide will be able to buy bags of Lucky Charms marshmallows only. Customers won't have to enter any contest to win the cereal-free bags either. They can just, uh, well, stop by their favorite store and pick them up. You know, Christmas is coming if you wanted to know what to get me. <laughs> A bag of Send to the Georgine Rice Show, care of KPDQ, 6400 <laughs> Southeast Lake Road. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's every kid's, and not so kid's, dream, and perhaps most parents' nightmare come to life. General Mills, Dan will just not be happy because... No. Uh, they teamed up with Jet Puffed to bring the bags to store shelves. The company also said the item will cost about $1.50, will be available nationwide in September. Now, this kind of makes sense to me, especially with, you know, because... I mean, they're they're not what I would call fresh marshmallows by any stretch of oh, the no, imagination. Oh no, it's the crunch that, that does it. And, and this this sort of parallels to me. So the question is, how does a a Lucky Charms marshmallow compare to, as we refer to, a properly seasoned peep? Oh, they're really entirely different. The um, uh, General Mills Lucky Charms marshmallow is completely dried out, so it's crunchy through and through. On the other hand, the peep, it remains its puffiness, its fluffiness in the middle, but has a very hard crust. You would have to perhaps leave a peep out for much longer than my method in order for it to reach that same state. So it's just much more volume. So um, they're two different things, but they're similar in that they originate from the marshmallow. 
That was way more scientific than it needed to be, but it was so entertaining. <laughs> yeah, well, in a press release obtained by Fox News, CBS, NBC, and all the others, Ashley Calderon, an associate brand manager for Jet Puffed, the, says that the colorful marshmallows have always been our favorite fluffy part of the Lucky Charms cereal experience. We're thrilled to put our signature Jet Puffed spin on them. Now, don't spin it too much. We want exactly what was in the cereal to make them bigger and puffy. Oh, here we go. Bigger and puffier. We don't want them puffier. They're crunchy. Puffy doesn't really match the uh, the Lucky Charm. Now fans don't have to wait until breakfast to enjoy these iconic, magically delicious vanilla-flavored marshmallows they know and love in their snacks and desserts. Now I'm a little bit concerned. Is this going to be Butterfingers all over again? You've somehow changed it. You've enlarged it. It's something other than what we've all come to know and love. We all buy a bag before we realize it's something else. We need to get a bag and let listeners know in September. I agree. Uh, the release went on to uh, conform, confirm rather that the bags will contain green clovers, pink hearts, blue moons, and yellow stars. Fans of red balloons will apparently have to keep digging through boxes of the cereal to satisfy their hunger. Okay. Wow. Krispy Kreme, Reese's, teaming up to make 2019 the summer of more. Maybe you've seen this because summer's drawing to a close. Hey, you got peanut butter in my Krispy Kreme donuts. Well, the popular donut company teamed up with America's favorite peanut butter encased in chocolate. The result, two donuts that are uh, making, uh, well, making staying in shape in the summer a bit more difficult. Both companies took to social media to show off the uh, new creations. Now, this story is just dated August the 6th, though I'm not sure how long this has been around. A Krispy Kreme shared a, shared a video that showcases the two new donuts, a peanut butter lover's donut and the chocolate lover's version. They posted more donuts, more chocolate, and more peanut butter. You want some more? Reese's Lover's Original Filled Donuts are available now. Reese's Filled Original Donuts. Hmm. Reese's joined in posting. We've teamed up with Krispy Kreme to bring you greatness. Reese's Lover's Original Filled Donuts. Greatness, that is. Get yours now before they're gone. Well, in a press release, Krispy Kreme described the Chocolate Lover's Donut as a chocolate original glazed donut filled with chocolate peanut butter creme, K-R-E-M-E, of course, uh, dipped in Reese's peanut butter icing and uh, decorated with chocolate icing drizzle. I think I have a headache just reading that. Yeah. The peanut butter lover's donut is similar, except obviously with more of the focus on peanut butter. Now, do either of these sound appealing to you? Not particularly, yeah, but I'm not a big Krispy Kreme guy, actually. Yeah, I like a donut. I'm not particular about what the address was when the donut was being made, but um, I don't know. That just doesn't that didn't do a whole lot for me. Krispy Kreme. Uh, is also uh, bringing the Reese's inspiration to how they sell the donut. According to them, Krispy Kreme has also produced a limited run of uh, a custom two-pack box inspired by the iconic Reese's two-cup pack, enabling fans to purchase two Reese's peanut butter lovers donuts, two Reese's chocolate lovers donuts, or one of each. Well, there you go. Yeah, so Krispy Kreme. And Reese's teaming up. McDonald's restaurants in Europe, they're serving paper straws to their customers to avoid using plastic, but their straws, those paper straws, it turns out, are not yet able to be recycled. So, I'm sorry, what was the point then? The fast food company announced last year plans to switch to paper straws in the United Kingdom and in Ireland uh, as part of McDonald's goal to source 100% of guest packaging from recycled, recyclable, and certified sources by 2025. And to have guest packaging recycling in all restaurants globally. Now, I understand their plastic straws are recyclable, but they don't recycle them. 
And the paper straws, which they're now using in Europe, are not recyclable, but they've switched to them. I'm a little confused. Who's on first? I have no idea. That is mysterious. Yeah. And then there's this. Um, You may be seeing a change at your McDonald's, if you have a McDonald's, in the near future. I actually have several staked out when I need anything in particular. Whether you're ready for it or not, the fast food giant is planning to roll out a new format for its stores in select locations. The major change is that there will be um, no tables or seating inside the restaurant known as McDonald's to go. All orders are for takeout only. Oh, and there's one more big change. You won't have to interact with those pesky and fallible human beings anymore. All ordering is done using a kiosk. And we did a report, this is months ago now, that those kiosks are filthy. <laughs> so just yes. a note. Bring hand sanitizer if you're using the kiosk because you're going to need it. One of the reporters uh, at Insider uh, visited the first of these outlets recently opened up in London and reported what they saw. Well, the fast food chain is reportedly opening a fleet of these new restaurants that aim to feed its customers faster by exclusively serving takeout and um, saving a little money by not hiring people to serve you. The new fleet have been dubbed McDonald's first new restaurant format since it was introduced. The company claims that the purpose of this new format is to allow people to get their food and be back on their way more quickly and efficiently. But the reviewer reported that the total time to get your food and to leave really wasn't any quicker than in a normal drive through experience or picking it up uh, through takeout orders at the usual counters. Also, the pictures and the description provided make the store sound rather depressing. The floors and some of the walls are gray. The customer area is small and uninviting. It all sounds like a deliberately planned environmental design to encourage people to pick up their meals and get out as quickly as possible. And with no place to sit, it will probably work. So if you are planning on uh, trying to find a job at McDonald's, chances are there will be fewer and fewer of them if this plan takes off. And finally, um, in this segment, Sports Illustrated celebrating college football's 150th season by ranking the top 10 all-time greatest mascots, putting the University of Georgia's Bulldog in first place. Okay, that's not exciting, but the magazine includes both real and costumed mascots in the uh, edition. Uh, Following Ugga is the Duck at the University of Oregon. Mike the Tiger of Louisiana State University, Bevo the Longhorn Bull of University of Texas, Stanford University's Tree. But again... The Duck at the University of Oregon made number two for mascots. The University of Colorado's 1,200-pound live buffalo named Ralphie. University of South Carolina's costumed Gamecock named Cocky. Uh, Western Kentucky University's Big Red. Syracuse University's Orange named Otto. And their mascot is an orange. I mean, you think a duck and a beaver are lame. How would you like to have a mascot that's an orange, an inanimate, edible object? Anyway, University of Tennessee's blue tick coonhound named Smokey closed the list. I could go for an orange now. That kind of got me in the mood. Yeah. Well, I have some on my desk if you want to go grab one. Oh, there you go. Uh, The latest Ugga is the 10th iteration of the mascot, which the magazine says has been a staple since 1956. But University of Oregon duck, number two, Sports Illustrated. Go Ducks. Once again, standing out above the crowd. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break. At least that's what Clark says. Uh, I'm not sure I agree. We're going to confer on that uh, during the break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final sec. Sadly, listening to the final segment of the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. Sadly listening or sad because it's the end of... <laughs> I'll leave that to okay. people to sort out for themselves. Well, apparently um, the dumb phone uh, is the smart new trend. Are you hearing this about the, the phone that doesn't know more than you do? No. Yeah. At the cost of smartphones, um, 
Uh, they continue to rise. The latest trend in the mobile photo phone market, although photo fits too. I'm not sure you can take a photo from a dumb phone. Uh, is consumers going vintage with the growing popularity of the so-called dumb phone? Uh, they're going to be able to make calls. They're going to be able to text. And they're going to be able to do some simple communication stuff. And they're going to be cheaper. That's really the appeal. In the smartphone market, the Samsung Fold is at the high end, costing nearly $2,000. Really? While all the new iPhones um, are in uh, the $1,000 range. On the other hand, the dumb phones, often referred to as the smart feature phones, cost about as little as $25. The strongest, uh, most advanced Silverado ever is among them. According to the Wall Street Journal, while sales and smartphones uh, have declined, the shipments of these smart featured phones, or dumb phones, are on the rise, with approximately $84 million expected to ship. Now, selling is a different matter, but to ship this year. You going to stick with your smartphone? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Well, your Bluetooth connection is unsafe. Now, you can comment on this as well. Very unsafe. They say that's the message from the largest hacker convention. Bluetooth, which is a wireless technology for connecting everything from wireless earphones to car entertainment systems, is hacker heaven. Ow. It's uh, bad enough that attendees at the hack convention, DEFCON, um, are advising uh, folks to turn it off when it's not in use, as noted in the report, Security Boulevard and Mashable. People can track you with your Bluetooth devices. The problem is chronic with devices like headphones and fitness trackers. Uh, so, you know, just get off. That's what they're saying. Your yeah, thoughts? I don't. I, I. It's funny that for the most part, because it uses it's always looking for devices. Uh-huh. Uh, I tend to keep mine off because of uh, power, uh, preserving battery. So, because um, I mean, that's not using a lot, but over the course of a day, you know, it, it, it'll wear down a battery a little faster. So, so, so I typically keep mine off. I, I just looked and it was on, but that's because I'd uh, been using Bluetooth headphones on the airplane last night, but uh-huh. uh, and hadn't gotten right back, back around. But I do typically keep it off. That's something to think about. I don't, I don't check anything. Hey, taking a look at a few of the things that are coming up next week on the program. On Monday, we're going to talk with Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino. They are the co-authors of Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Morgan Tyree. Take back your time. Identify your priorities, decrease stress, and increase productivity. That's coming up on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Todd Chap- uh, Chipman, rather, until every child is home, why the church can and must care for orphans. On Thursday, we'll talk with Jolene Philo, sharing love abundantly in special needs families. Really looking forward to that conversation. The five love languages of parenting parents raising children with disabilities. That's coming up on Thursday. So looking forward to uh, that conversation. Uh, I would also encourage you to check out the Christian Outlook that airs here on the weekends here on KPDQ. And if you'd like to hear any of the interviews that we have done on the program this week or previous weeks, you can go to kpdq.com, look up the podcast, and there you can find those interviews as well. Well, in closing, I wanted to share a Babylon Bee article that I thought was rather funny. A Christian man, this is the headline, Christian man goes on one meal per week diet to reflect Bible reading habits. I mean... I guess it's funny in one sense, but anyway, local Christian, and of course they're satirists, so those of us who understand what satire is get it. Local Christian Paul Hoskins announced Wednesday he will start a new diet that directly corresponds to his pattern of Bible reading 
He plans to eat one meal per week. Sources confirm Hoskins will quickly scarf down a light salad every seven days and will avoid any form of nourishment the rest of the time. I got the idea when I realized my spirit can stay healthy even if I ingest the Word of God just once per week, Hoskins told sources. I figure if my spirit can grow and thrive on a once-per-week plan, my body can too, end quote. When asked how he expects to sustain himself between meals, Hoskins stated he will listen to podcasts about food, play music by artists who believe in the power of food, and look at pictures of food on Instagram. According to reports, Hoskins will have his weekly meal spoon-fed to him every Sunday morning. Well, of course, it's important for us to attend services on Sunday morning with other believers. In fact, we're advised, commanded to do just that, but it shouldn't be our only feeding, and the Babylon Bee put their finger on it. (laughs) If we were to live uh, in our physical life in the same way that many of us do in our spiritual life, we would be anemic Indeed, if not worse, we'd be anorexic, we'll put it that way. So make sure you take advantage of the opportunity to share some time with fellow believers over this weekend. Once again, uh, on Monday on the program, we're going to talk with uh, Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino. This is an interview we've been working on for quite some time, so I'm absolutely thrilled that we're going to have the pair of them uh, on the program on Monday, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation, and the Future of the Supreme Court. It really traces some of the details uh, leading up to that confirmation uh, process and, and in the middle of it, so we'll talk with them about that. Well, the Church of the Apostles, which is said to have been built over the house of Jesus, disciples Peter and Andrew, has been discovered near Israel's Sea of Galilee, according to a team of American and Israeli archaeologists. Experts from the uh, Kinneret Institute for Galilean Archaeology at the Kinneret uh, College uh, in Israel and Nyack College in New York, they've been excavating the site of El Araj on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The archaeologists believe that El Araj is the site of the ancient Jewish fishing village of Bethsaida, which later became the Roman city of Julius. A professor, Stephen Notley of Nyack College, says that the group previously, um, their previous annual excavations at the site had uncovered evidence of the church's existence, such as pieces of marble from its uh, channel screen and some gilded glass block, uh, called the, well, I won't even try to pronounce that word, that were used in ornate churches, a church wall mosaics. These discoveries already informed us that the church was waiting to be found somewhere nearby, he exclaimed. Following the clues, the archaeologists discover the church's mosaic floor. It is uh, always remarkable to bring these beautifully decorated floors to light after being buried for nearly 1,500 years. The Byzantine church had been mentioned by early Christian pilgrims, notably the Bavarian bishop and St. Willibald of 725 A.D. He states that the church was in Bethsaida, built over the house of Peter and Andrew, among the first disciples of Jesus. Well, the professor added that the church's discovery is significant for at least two reasons, at least. First, until its recent discovery, many scholars questioned its existence. Existence. And although it's mentioned in Byzantine pilgrimage itineraries, many thought these uh, reports were mistaken. Of equal importance, the church indicates that there existed a living memory in the Christian community about the location of Bethsaida, home of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. You'll find that in John 1, 44. Uh, the Roman city of Julius was born out of the Jewish fishing village of Bethsaida during the first century, according to uh, Josephus, so we know that much. And the New Testament describes Bethsaida as the home of Jesus, Apostle Peter, Andrew, and Philip's. Philip, rather. Jesus also healed a blind man in Bethsaida, according to Mark 8.22, while Luke describes a nearby uh, location for the feeding of the 5,000. So all of that 
gives us something of a location. And archaeologists have uh, uncovered um, the, I think, the outline and much of where that uh, first century church was located. All right. We are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing Clark Hilton for engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.